people to head back over to the group. Okay. Uh, good, good, good. Now we are moving over. Should be going up in a second. It says it's live uh, on here. Let's see if it pops up over on Facebook. All right. Looks like we are live on the Book of Faces, Phil. Boom. So do we do a little wait to see it, like let people get over here? Um, we could do that. Me? We could trade jokes. Uh, preferably I don't have any good jokes. Oh, <laughs> I'm such a bad joke teller. Like I don't, yeah, that's fair. like do that's people fair. just study like joke books so that they have witty jokes? Uh, I have been. <laughs> you seem like a guy that would study joke books. Come on. Come on. <laughs> Every night I try to like, I'm going to get three more down. So in case I meet somebody tomorrow. Yeah. And they happen to ask me, Hey, you know, any good jokes? <laughs> exactly. Um, how's everything up in Bay city? Why we let uh, people. It's, uh, it, it's, it's great up here in Bay city. We got some warm weather happening. We got uh, our streets are starting to close down again, kind of a carryover from uh, last year last year's shutdowns to try to help restaurants uh expand into the street we're, we're doing that again this year and that's that's super rad people are excited about that now we got a little bit more of a of a of a lead into that so people can do more creative things and a little bit more legitimate things so that it's going to be awesome fantastic excellent excellent that's good to hear yeah our weather is uh outstanding here as well we've had a couple few days of spring and i'm digging it it's been fun to get outside and play some especially after a winter of like nothing so yeah um we're at 53 55 when we hit 60 we'll jump in and start start the chit chat okay come on points. come on big 60 come on 60 no whammy no whammy oh, no oh whammy. gosh just went down to 38 <laughs> oh come on people what happened what did you say that not 20 people out <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it was like a streaming thing. I'm know. just kidding. We're we're still at we're we're stuck at 56 now. Oh, okay. Four more people. Come on, mom. It's, oh, 64. 64. We're there. Oh, there it there is. Done okay. It. Crushing Excellent. it. Crushing that 60. Nice. All right. Um. Well, I'm going to. Uh, hi, everybody. Thanks for for joining us for our first session of the three day bender, and we decided to start with the most controversial. No, oh, we decided no. to lead off with a bang. We decided to go to go big. Oh, no. uh, so what I'm going to do is do a bit of an introduction uh, of, of Phil here. Uh, make him host. Phil is going to move over to sharing his screen, so that'll you know take a couple seconds. I'll monitor, monitor questions uh, throughout. I'm not going to interrupt him during those, but at the end, I'll try to keep an eye and ask some of those questions so that Phil can drop all the smarts on us. And uh, that's how the session will go. So I'm um, super duper excited to, to start things off with my man, Phil Ike. Phil, uh, I didn't get a, I didn't go on the, the internets and find any bio because I just wanted to do this um, off the cuff. Nice. Phil Ike was uh, at one point a book met the city of Bay City and those two, they had a baby. <laughs> and when a book and basically had a baby, that baby's name was when he was born, it was like, well, this baby doesn't have any hair and has a beard. Uh, this is amazing. We'll call that baby Phil Ike. <laughs> um, Phil, uh, before becoming a, a social media uh, juggernaut, was a um, instructor of, of oh, not kickboxing. It's the CrossFit. CrossFit was a CrossFit instructor. <laughs> Bill was also a, a, a classically trained uh, organist, um, a teacher, third grade, fifth grade, was it? Fifth and sixth grade. Fifth and sixth grade teacher. So your typical path to, um, to entrepreneurship. And Phil and I began bumping into each other uh, online um, about a year and a half ago, kind of saying mm -hmm. the same things, uh, hanging around, lurking around the same seedy places and realized that, that we just shared um, a passion for cities and how we think communities should could operate better by being honest, by being um, true to residents, by uh, honoring residents before some of these other, you know, for tourism based stuff and some of this stuff. And we just kept bumping into each other and, and started chatting and became uh, fast friends. And 
Uh, Phil started uh, things out with um, Full Steam Social Media, uh, doing some social media marketing for small business, and that transformed into Storyville Social, which is a kick-ass project, uh, helping municipalities and local government um, tell their story. And I think it's something that is uh, pretty fascinating. It's something that's blowing up, uh, and Phil does awesome work. And so I am very excited to have the chance to get to work with him uh, to get to be buddies. And I'm going to turn it over to you now, Phil, to, to share the great words. That, that was a good intro. <laughs> Maybe you should have looked up my bio or something. Yeah. yeah next time. Next time. Sorry yeah, about no, that. No, it's fine. It was awesome. How am I, how am I transmitting? Everything uh, coming through okay? Looking good from Zoom. Let me bump over to uh, Facebook and, and check and okay. see if it's the same pardon to everybody for the little technical lull just to make sure that we're up and running good all right we are up i can see your presentation over there we got 90 people that are hanging on your every word don't oh, man fuck this up Phil. okay here we go so first of all hey everybody uh i'm super stoked to be here uh again this three-day bender Unconference is such such an amazing idea and proud places kind of got birthed through this and fast forward 12 months to right now, we're all still here and we're all still kicking ass and that's a great thing. Today we're talking about creating pride in place through storytelling. Now what we do at Storyville is a little bit uncommon, a little bit unique. And it really forms the basis of everything that we're talking about today. So just to give you a little bit of context, this is what we do. So imagine civic marketing meets uh, humans of New York. So we create human-centered story-based content marketing for cities. And how that works is we go, uh, we, we start working with the city or Main Street program, downtown organization, economic development organization. And we establish this list of, of anywhere from 52 to 104 stories that populate uh, a year-long campaign. And after that list is established, we go into the city, we interview all of those people, take photos of them and what they do. And then we take all of that content, turn it into story series that highlights each one of those people and their role and their value in the community. And it's specifically designed to get pushed out onto social media. Now, uh, cities can definitely use that content for more than just social media. So if they have a magazine, stories can go there. Website stories can go there. Um, anything they want to use it for. And if you look at this, this post, uh, you, can, you can see kind of the framework of it. It's a quote-based quote story. Nine times out of ten, we use only the quotes from the people because it's one of our beliefs that uh, the people in a community can tell their own stories in their own words. And so you see this uh, quote-based story up here and then a portrait shot. We'll get into why we see the human faces in our pictures so often. And then down here, you see a little bit of, of the social engagement uh, here on this post. And how we got to this approach, this, this human-centered story-based approach uh, really needs a story in and of itself. And that story is my own story. So hello, everybody again. Uh, I'm Phil, the founder, and this is my story. I haven't always been in marketing. I actually started off as a fifth grade teacher, as Jeff alluded to. This is a picture of me with one of my classes in, during one of our awesome Christmas parties. And somewhere around the fifth year of teaching or so, uh, my twin brother lost his job in the recession of 2008-ish. And uh, while he was looking for work and kind of his next steps, I invited him to come move in with me while he figured out what to do. And what he decided to do next was build guitars. He was previously a guitar builder, and so he started building his own guitars in my garage. And he became one of three people in the world at that time to build steel body acoustic resonator guitars by hand. His orders shot through the roof and he ended up with a, th a three year long wait list. So the guy on the left is not me, that's Smithers, uh, a good friend and a former employee. The guy in the middle is also still not, not seeing any photos up yet. You're not seeing any photos? No, it's still on the uh, title page. Mm, I'm seeing photos. Hmm. Sorry for this technical glitch here, people. This is terrible. Everybody just hold tight. wonder if I can open 
Zoom is telling me that I'm sharing. Zoom is lying. So yeah, I can see the uh, title page, but nothing's advancing. Um, unshare, then share again, and let's uh, okay. uh, see if we can't get it back. Yeah, everybody hold tight. And did you check all your tabs? There's nothing weird up there first? Yeah. Good. So I got to pull up Zoomy Zoom. Oops, it's not what I want. So... okay no yeah no, all right maybe. back to video now if you want to try sharing the screen again and let's see if it just got stuck let's see if this works how does how does this yeah, look there we go there, okay yep. we're back in it so this is this is us building guitars now when we started this business we didn't know anything about a business we didn't know anything about advertising and marketing but we could post to Instagram because Instagram was relatively new at that time. And so that's what we decided to do, just kind of take pictures of us and what we were doing day to day. Well, at the end of that first year, we ended up with uh, building guitars about twice as fast, but the wait list didn't shrink at all because people were one, so interested about these instruments, but two, they were really compelled by the story that we were telling. We were so transparent in that, like, yes, we were working out of a closet and then we did move into a swampy basement. And we were really carrying people along for the ride of this story. And it, it ended up creating this, this ravenous community of, of super fans where people would send us gifts, pictures of their kids, instruments that they made, beer. It was just this ridiculous amount of human interaction that really was unexpected for social media and for the kind of typical customer business relationship. And so about three years into that, I decided that my long-term career was not going to be guitar building, but I was in a little bit of a pickle because I wasn't gonna go back to teaching. Uh, my resume was a guitar builder and fifth and sixth grade teacher, so it didn't really transition well into another career. And I didn't really have the capacity or the resources to start over from scratch and like go back to school. So my last resort was myself and looking at what, what could I do that people could possibly pay me money for. And I looked back at the success that we were having in our marketing, taking this human-centered story-based approach and thought, well, maybe this is something that other small businesses would be interested in. So I took my camera and I walked down the road uh, to Old Town Saginaw just to look for businesses that, that might be interesting or even be willing to talk to me for a couple minutes and let me take their photos just to build a portfolio. Um, so this was the first business I walked into. This is Garrett, and he owns Mr. Van's Shoe Repair. And the angle was this, this young kid, I think he was 26 at the time, buying a cobbler shop. So he's really buying into what is a, a dying profession. And uh, so that's how I started this business. And by month eight, I had a full client list. I couldn't take on any more work because I had 13 uh, small businesses and nonprofits that were all really compelled by this human-centered approach to marketing what they were doing. And then one day I, I was having coffee with my friend Wayne and he asked me, did you hear about the Riverfront Saginaw contract? And I said, I don't even know what Riverfront Saginaw is. And he explained that Riverfront Saginaw is this organization that it was formed to promote Old Town and Downtown Saginaw, Michigan. And un unfortunately, in the state of Michigan, part of Saginaw's reputation is a negative one uh, of crime and poverty and uh, vacancy, historical buildings being torn down. But that's largely an unfair reputation because underneath that reputation is just some of the world's most beautiful, passionate, intensely loyal to their community kind of people. And Riverfront was looking for ways to get those stories in front of people instead of this narrative of crime and poverty. So I said, well, this sounds like a really cool uh, contract or a really cool project. And he said, yeah, but you have to hurry because proposals are due the next morning. And so I pounded my coffee, ran back to my office and I was sitting in front of my computer saying, 
okay, how am I going to pull this off? Never having thought about marketing for a city before and what, what kind of effort that would take. But partly because of the time constraint, but also because I had seen it work in my own work, I came up with a four-word marketing strategy for the city, and that's this. Human faces, human stories. Because what is a city if it's not a collection of human faces and human stories all just in one place? And if we want to tell people things about our city, the stories of our cities, doesn't it make sense to tell the stories of the people? So I wrote this proposal, I submitted it, they accepted it. Three months into the work, we were seeing such success that the city government came to us and said, hey, do you think this would work? But from a government angle, a government perspective, so community uh, organizations or how the government works or interviews with the mayor. And I said, yeah, that definitely it would work. I wrote a proposal for them. They accepted it. And over the last 12 months in this city of less than 50,000 people, one that has, has been struggling against this reputation of crime and vacancy and poverty, uh, positive, these positive stories of the people of the city of Saginaw were seen almost 13 million times on Facebook alone. Uh, 700,000 engaged users on each one of these pages. If you look here in the graph, this flat line that's before stories started filling the feed. This moment right here, that's the first story being published. Same thing over here, flat line, first story. And now you might be saying, well, why, why, why are you telling us a story? Why are you showing us these stats? And it's not, it's not to like bore you with my story, but, but it's to show that storytelling works it works on any level. It works if you are a, a business just starting off in a basement with nothing, all the way up to the city, a collection of thousands of people and thousands of businesses. And that's really the biggest apprehension people have when they think about storytelling and marketing is, yeah, we don't know if it works. Like it, it makes people feel nice. It makes us feel good. But it's really something to do when the serious marketing work is done. Or it's really, you know, if somebody has a really compelling story, then we tell it. But otherwise, let's go back to what we've been doing before. And so instead, we, we really default to kind of a safe answer of, of demanding things from people, kind of the surface level of like, we, buy our pizza and buy our beer, go to this business, go to this event. But we never take the time to stop and tell people why they should do those things. We never take the time to really dig down deep and say, there's more, that, there, there's more reasons to support that shop than just the fact they have good pizza. Because let's face it, a lot of places have really great pizza. And so our, our argument for our places has to go a little bit deeper than that. And so not only does storytelling work, but it's essential to how citizens and outsiders perceive and engage with our communities. And then before I get to why storytelling, let's talk quickly about, well, why pride? Why, why is this called creating pride in place uh, through storytelling? Um, well, this is why. In our quest to make our places better for people, we have all these different sectors of our communities to try to improve, right? Housing, local wealth, government, small business, jobs, community development, tourism, talent attraction, retention, investment talent or attraction and retention, all of this stuff. And we have to address all of these areas very specifically and very individually in order to get them to improve. And we should do those things. But what if we could do one thing and cause all of these things to improve or the potential for results to increase or the speed of those results? What if we could speed that up just a little bit? What if by finding a common thread that links all of these different areas and by improving that common thread, we improve all those areas at the same time? Well, to me, that common thread is pride. Pride is the thing that connects all of these different sectors because if we want good things to happen in any one of these areas, people have to care about the city and the people in that city first. 
the amount of love that we have for a thing or a person is really a motivator for action, right? Um, I will do, I will run to the ends of the earth for my two-year-old daughter. Somebody that I don't know in California, I'm not willing to take that same amount of action. And so not only is pride or love a motivator for action, it, it really serves as a ceiling of potential. More love equals more action by more people for a longer period of time, giving us more results. And now I've, I've been saying the word pride and here's a heart and I've been using those things a little bit interchangeably, but I use the word pride because pride is a very specific form of love. It's love for a reason. I, we say that we're proud of someone when they accomplish something or when they overcome something or, or they, they evolve into something better than what they've been before. We're proud of those people. We love them for a reason. And that's important when we talk about our places because we can't just keep saying, we love our city, we love our city, I love Bay City, I love Pittsburgh. We should say those things, but we also have to give people concrete reasons why. And those reasons have to go deeper than just, we have a great nightlife or we have great retail because lots of other places have those things too. And that's where storytelling comes in. Stories give people proof that our places are actually as great as we say they are. On top of that, pride is just uncommon, right? The, the, the most vocal sectors of our, of our population tend to be the people with the most negative things to say. Our roads suck, we don't have any jobs, our downtown is vacant, we can't trust the government. And I'm not trying to negate those opinions because a lot of times there's at least a shred of truth in what they're trying to say. But I, what I do have a problem with is when that narrative is the one that shapes and controls the actual full narrative of the city, really controlling its future. And so when a, a city decides to start telling its own stories, telling these very true stories of all these people in their community doing really, really great things, it, 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 re, it regains uh, kind of this, this attention-grabbing foothold, and now it creates this place that is rare and compelling and intriguing because those are the places that people want to be or invest in or work in. It's not necessarily the most perfect places. It's the places where it feels like a community, where a city is literally head over heels in love with itself and its people and its strengths and its struggles. How transformative would a narrative surrounding a city be if that's what it was? So why storytelling? Well, first look at her. Look at her face, look at her clothes, look at her hair. Intentional, kind, she's got a little smile. Uh, clothes, you can tell she, she picked out this outfit for a reason that day. Hair perfectly done. Even the fact that, that her posture is a little bit crooked, it, it, it tells us something about her. It makes us intrigued about her. It makes us want to interact with her just a little bit more. So here's the beginning of her story. A long time ago in 1933, I was born in Tokyo, Japan. I told you the year I was born because that means I experienced World War II. I was a little girl, but I watched. There was no television, no computer, just radio, and the city was all taken over by the military. I was in fifth grade when the bombing of Tokyo happened. They knew it was going to be bad, I guess. We were warned, and the Empress ordered us to evacuate all the elementary school children. I had to leave for about one year. I mean, I took this picture of Yoko, I've read this story a thousand times, and it still gives me goosebumps. It makes me intrigued about her. It makes me want to know her and more of her story. And if you're curious about the rest of her story, you're not alone, because that day, 26,000 other people were also interested in her and her story. Why did we tell this story? It was to advertise a virtual event that was happening the next week. We could have just said, we're having a virtual event next week. You should be there. 
But if we want people to take action, we have to show them there's value in them taking action first, that they're getting something there, there's some kind of relationship that's starting. And so if we want to capture people's attention and keep it and hold it and then encourage them to create a relationship that goes beyond just that moment, we have to tell our stories and we have to use human faces and human stories to do it. So why are our human faces and human stories so compelling? Why when somebody tells a great story, the air in the room changes, the energy changes, you can hear a pin drop in an auditorium of 10,000 people because we're all locked into this one person just on stage telling a single story. For that answer, we have to go all the way back to our very first communities. The first five, 10, 15, 20 people that decided, hey, you know what? We've got a better chance at surviving if we team up. Because every decision was a decision of survival. Um, we, didn't, we didn't settle a grassy plain because the retail options were great. Um, or we didn't move our encampment to the forest because uh, the nightlife is just simply better over there. Every action, every decision had an influence on whether or not we lived or died. And one of the most important decisions we had to make was who, who is in our community? Who do we trust? And then a related question to that, how do we decide who we trust? And so over time, and because of how important this question is, we got really, really good at figuring out who to trust. And of all the infinite personality attributes the human personality has, we whittled it down to mainly two. We decide who to trust based on two attributes, and those are empathy and authority. Some people use the terms warmth and competence. Warmth. Are they friendly? Are they outgoing? Are they interested in me as a person? And that's important for trust because that means that um, if I need help, they're going to be there to help me. Uh, they're a good team player. We're, we're going to be able to cooperate, cooperate really well. On the other side of it, it's a, a, we're looking for authority or competence. We're looking for somebody that brings additional value to our life, whether it's a skill or knowledge or experience that they have that we don't have or can't get, but we can benefit from because we're fostering a relationship together. And now we really need both of those things because if it's just warmth, the person is nice, yeah, but there's not really anything there. If somebody is... Uh, successful, they're very competent, but they're not very nice. It's like, well, they could manipulate us, they could take advantage of us. That's not a relationship we want to pursue either. And so our brain shuts down any desire to pursue further action with them. Our brain is in the business of conserving energy. Uh, attention takes calories, we have limited amount of calories. And so our subconscious brain just sorts things and says, don't pay attention to that, don't pay attention to that, don't pay attention to that. But when somebody displays warmth and competence, the brain just goes poof, on, just on fire and says, ah, this is something, this is a person, this is a relationship that we should probably pursue. So when a business or a nonprofit or a city display both of these qualities, they're displaying the two physiological triggers that get people to pay attention, remember, and then here's the kicker, want to create a deep and meaningful relationship that goes beyond that moment. And that's really what we're trying to lock in when we market our places. We don't want people to just be with us or just buy, buy one thing once. We want them to become part of this story into the long term. So how can a inanimate object, really this like social construct called a city, display human characteristics like warmth and competence. It's through human faces and through human stories. When a city decides to tell its own stories in this way, they really decide to reach deep down into our DNA and inside of our brains to connect with a part of our humanity that can only be reached through storytelling. On top of this, there's another layer of just our culture. It's a noisy culture, right? Um, 5, 000, every day we see 5,000 ads 
100,000 words, 34 gigabytes of data, 350% more information than we did just 30 years ago. And most of it is all the same. This is why we, we just compulsively scroll. We just scroll for hours and hours and hours because it's all the same, but at the same time, we're searching for human relationship and connection and these, these, this trust and empathy and authority and all these things. And so we're just scrolling and scrolling and scrolling through 34 gigabytes worth of data that is all really the same. So storytelling acts as this great differentiator. Um, it separates our cities from other cities and, and signals to people that no, we are different because we can all like we've got great beer, we've got great beer, we've got great pizza, we've got great pizza, and you know, in place it's always we've got a, a vibrant and walkable downtown, and then we start. You, everybody starts using the same language, which is which is fine, but we have to work hard at saying, well, we are us and they are them and everybody has their own individual stories. So stories are really what makes our cities what they are. And it's what makes your city different from your city different from your city. If we want people to take concrete transformative action, we have to show, we have to prove our city's value to them first. And the only way that you can do that is through storytelling. So what if our cities gave people exactly what they're looking for? And most people are looking for that something on social media. The first part of marketing is what message we're trying to send. The second part of, of marketing is how or where you send that message. So if you want more people to come to your, your city council meetings, um, you, you can sit down and, and type out this letter with your team and pound it out. And it's a beautiful letter talking about citizenship and, and ownership and civic engagement, all this stuff. It sounds great. And so you print it off, you take it up four flights of stairs, you walk it down to the end of a dark and, and dusty hallway to where the bulletin board is, you staple it up there, you walk back to your office and uh, the next council meeting comes and there's even less people there. Why? It's not because the message was bad, it's because where you put the message isn't where anybody was. Nobody's up on the fourth floor. They're all someplace else. What if I told you that there's a place where 80% of your population spends seven hours a day? Most of the people in your place, all the places that you want to pull people from or attract from are spending most of their conscious waking time that's on social media. And I'm not passing judgment on that. It's just, it's a fact. Most people spend most of their time on social media. And this is super important because if we want this, the, the power of storytelling and this perceptual change to take place, it has to happen at a certain critical mass quantity. We have to have enough people thinking the same way for momentum to build and actions to start and things to change. Um, it's great to have, you know, your one, one, two or three people who are real, really champions of your downtown, of your city, but what could happen if that was 50 people or 100 people or 5,000 people? And so we have to take these messages and put them directly where the people are. Don't put them on, on websites behind paywalls or make, put them in, in corners hard to get to. We have to put these stories right in front of people to the point where they're not looking for these stories, these stories just appear. So some rules, if you wanna start this kind of storytelling work because it, it, it's great and it's motivational and you can be passionate about it, but sometimes our passion can get in the way of, of really great quality work. Uh, we're human beings, so we like to mess, mess things up along the way. So here's some rules that, that I've found as I've done this work. Rule number one, your city already has a story. You're not trying to rewrite the story of your, hist the, the story of your city. Um, you're not uh, like starting a new story, like from this moment on, our city is completely different than it was the previous 100 years, 150 years, however old your city is. 
your city already has a story and that's a story you have to embrace. All of your people, all of your demographics, not just big funders or people who align with kind of the desired face of your downtown. You, if somebody is doing something great in your city, that's a story worth telling. If you don't do this, if, if you do try to rewrite your story or put a different face on it because you think it would be more beneficial, people are just going to disengage and they're not going to pay attention to it. Um, or uh, it's going to blow up in your face and now the citizens are going to actively um, kind of sabotage the storytelling work because that's not our city. So that's rule number one. Uh, rule number two, tell a good story, don't try to sell. So be, especially if you're in the marketing world, we really like to sell. We, we love our call to action. You hear all, all the time, you got to have some kind of call to action on everything. Um, tell a good story, don't try to sell. We live in a post-advertising world. Seeing 5,000 ads every single day, it's taught our brain how to quickly identify and then ignore advertisements. If, if today I went to you and said, hey, Jeff, um, can, can you tell me one ad that you remember seeing today? Probably not, right? Of all 5,000, you probably can't recall one. Why? Because remember, our brain is in the business of conserving calories and paying attention to things that are valuable. So if we take a story and we slap our logo on it, um, we put all sorts of links all over the place, you know, even things like uh, business hours or you know, little like salesy things like that, it can be a trigger to our brain that says, oh, this is an advertisement and somebody is trying to take something from me. I'm going to ignore this. So just focus on telling a great story. Trust your stories. Trust your people. Rule number three, the less you, the better. Sometimes when cities take a storytelling approach, the, the main street manager or the person spearheading the campaign, they become the face of, of the campaign. Um, they're at every event, they're doing, they're taste testing food, their interviews, like they're talking about their city. And then every time we pull up your page, it's, hi, like, it's Phil again, here's my face. Um, which, which can be necessary at times. Sometimes you do have to put your face in front of it. But the reason why this is compelling is because every story, it's a different person in their own words, telling a different story. And so the less you, the better. The more people you can, in your community that you can make the stars of the show, the uh, more effective a campaign like this is going to be. Rule number four, believe you have an infinite number of stories to tell. We get this question uh, all the time when we work with cities, especially on that year-long campaign, it's, do you really think we have enough stories to tell? If you are a village of 2,000 or if you are a city of 200,000, you have an infinite number of stories to tell. If you're a village of 2,000, you could tell a new story every day for the next three years and never run out. Believe that you have an infinite number of stories to tell and then start telling them. And then finally, rule number five, believe that your stories can change the world because they can. If we want to change people's worlds, we can't necessarily change the entire world. But how do people in our communities experience the world? It's through our communities. It's what they wake up to every day. It's the people they talk to. It's the businesses they buy from. It's their interaction with, with all the people and the organizations, everybody in their community. If we change that, we can literally change people's worlds. And that's what you have to use to motivate this kind of work is that it's not, we're not trying to sell more beer or more pizza. We're not advertising. We're, we're literally trying to transform our city simply by telling the city's stories back to itself and then inviting people from outside of the community to listen in on them as well. So here's the nitty gritty, uh, a little example for you so that you can walk away from this uh, with an idea of uh, how, you, how you might be able to pull off something like this in your own community. So Storytelling 101, it's your first story. Woohoo! Yay, congratulations. So let's get to it. Here's the anatomy of a story. Don't try to read this on the left. It's too small. Uh, it's just trying to show you the nuts and bolts of it. So on the left, we've got the caption. On the right, we have the portrait picture. And we call this the one story, one picture 
post. So this is an entire story in one caption and there's just one picture. So trying to keep things simple. Diving into the caption, notice how it's quotes only. And we do that for a few reasons. One, it's a philosophical reason because we are, if, if we're in Bay City, um, if we're working with any community outside of Bay City, we're really outsiders going into that city, right? And so our philosophy is that the people of the city can share their own stories in their own words. And, and we believe in that to the point where we even remove, you know, our own observations or, or our own words, our own thoughts, because they are able to carry their own stories by themselves. And then there's a couple practical reasons. One is because uh, space is limited. You can't just type as many words as you want on Facebook or Instagram. And then also attention is limited. If people see a post that's gonna take them 10 minutes to read, they're not gonna read it, they're gonna keep scrolling. And then on your end, your storyteller end, it's, it's going to be less time consuming because you don't have to create anything from scratch. You don't have to put on your, your John Steinbeck pants and de describe every nook and cranny or crack in the floor in the barber shop. Um, once you have your interview recorded, and I'll, we're getting to that in just a second, how to record the interview and get these words onto paper. Once you have recorded the interview, you have all the building blocks already in front of you to uh, create a great story. It just requires a little bit of, of editing. The first line, of course, is, is called the lead. And this is really where you need to put a little bit more elbow grease when you write your stories, because this is the thing that's going to catch people's attention and then compel them to read the rest of the story. Now, this lead is not a great, a super great lead. I wrote this so I can blast it all I want. Um, but we'll talk about why that is sometimes okay to not have a Pulitzer Prize winning lead. Um, it fits the rest of the story here, but we'll get into that in just a little bit. Simple sentences and short sections. So you're aiming at like a, th a third to fifth grade reading level. Why? It's not because most people read at a fifth grade level. It's because on social media, that's the speed at which people want to consume or digest content. And so uh, simple sentences, very short. You see a lot of line breaks here because visually to somebody, it looks like, okay, I could, I could read that. There's, there's a lot of empty space there. There's not a lot of empty words. And so that's going to help pull them through the post a little bit too. And then at the end of the story, uh, the finish here, this is the other part where you really have to put a little bit of extra elbow grease on, specifically on, in social media, because this section right here is what's going to compel people to want to engage. And on social media, that's so critical, the, the liking, commenting, and sharing, because the more often that happens, the more people see that story. And so there's at the end of each story, there's got to be some kind of a twist or emotional punch or big reveal or something like that. The, the ending of this story is, the story is really him recounting all the businesses over the past 40 years that he started that had failed until he gets to this last one, the one that's still around. And then he reveals why, how it got its name. And so that's the big finish for this story. So if all these captions are, are, are quote based and you really need all of somebody's words in order to pull this off, obviously going into an interview and trying to remember word for word of what they're saying, it, it, you're not going to be able to do that. And on the other side of it, if you record the audio and then upload it to your computer and try to transcribe it word for word, it's going to take you a really long time. And I can tell you that because that's how I started. It'd take me like, four hours just to simply transcribe a story and then I could actually start editing it and making it look look good for social media. Don't do that. There's a really amazing app that, that serves as the linchpin for all of this work. It's called Otter. It's available on uh, iPhone and Android. There's a desktop version and it's free. Uh, you only pay if you want more recording minutes. So it's awesome. And what Otter does is this. I sit down for an interview. I open up Otter and I start recording. It will record the audio for the interview as well as transcribe the audio in real time. You can actually watch the screen and it's typing away the words. When the interview uh, ends, you hit stop and it automatically uploads to the cloud. So when you go back to your office and you pull up your Otter account, it's right there with the audio and with the transcribed interview. 
Now it's not copy paste ready. You can't just copy paste the interview over into your Facebook and then hit post and say, well, that was, that was easy. It, it'll get you about 60% of the way there. And the, the rest of the way is what we call creative editing. So you have this giant wall of text of words. And what we have to do is we have to make it readable for people on social media. Uh, people talk different. We talk differently and at a higher level of understanding than we read. And so we can jump around on tangents and things when people read or when you write, you can't do that. And so you have to move uh, themes around, words around, sentences around, maybe uh, substitute words, rewrite phrases so that the meaning can be understood. And you know, the true journalists in the crowd are probably cringing a little bit at that, like, you can't do that. In three years, I've never once had anyone have an issue with that because they want to look amazing. They want their story to sound amazing and saying, hey, you know what, just so you know, I'm going to polish it up a bit and say, heck yeah, man, like go forth and do it. So Otter, Otter is really the, the linchpin for all of this work. And then finally, we've got a single portrait pick. Uh, human faces, human stories, right? And so it doesn't make sense if we, we wrote this story about Paul and his restaurant and then included a giant picture of a cheeseburger. The, the, the story is not about a cheeseburger. The story is about Paul. So we got to put a picture of Paul in the post. Um, same thing over here with, with Julian. It, the story is about Julian, so we should put a picture of Julian in the post. Um, on top of that, there's a practical reason for this too. If it's just one picture, it's going to be the largest possible on a platform. If we're talking about Facebook, it's going to be the largest possible picture. And that's going to help serve to capture people's attention because they're scrolling through their feeds. And then all of a sudden, bam, there's a picture of a big picture of, of Julian's smiling face. And then they look up here at what account it's from. It's like, oh, this is city of Saginaw government. Like this kid is from my community. What's the deal? And then they start reading this caption. So uh, human faces, human stories, that's your sample of a one picture, one story post. Now, how do you put this all together? How do you make sure that, that this, a campaign like this goes well into the future? Because you see campaigns like this, cities do them, and they're, they're awesome for two weeks or three weeks, and then they start to die out eventually because there aren't systems in place to make sure that this is sustainable. And so step one, uh, baby steps. If you're feeling super motivated about storytelling, that's awesome. But if you've never told a story in your life, just go back to your social feeds and say, hey, we just need to put more human beings in our social feeds. Do that for four to six weeks after that, say every single day we need a human. And then after that, then start talking to people and incorporating their quotes. Um, make these things habits, develop the skills, and then eventually it's just gonna become part of what you do. Second thing, B plus work forever is better than A plus work almost never. Uh, perfectionists in the crowd, you are amazing people. The world needs people just like you. Uh, but if you spend 17 hours writing a single Facebook post, nobody's ever going to see these stories. And the quantity of stories is just as important as the quality of stories. If we're trying to transform people's perceptions, it's going to take a lot of stories to do that. And that requires a workflow where you're able to get stories out into the world on a regular basis. So once your story hits B+, send it. Because remember, you have an infinite amount of stories to tell. So you can't afford to spend four weeks on every single story, making sure that it's going to win you that Pulitzer. Third, spread the load. If you've got somebody on staff uh, that is a talker, they can handle the interviews. You can handle the photos. You just cut your workload in half. Um, if you have nobody on staff and it's just you or you don't have the, the, the or everybody on staff is busy with everything else, uh, look into your community. There's writers or, or photographers that you can pull or hire from your community. Those services are something Storyville offers. You can hire us and we just go into your city to get as many professional photos as we can of your community so that you create the stockpile. Find some way to make the, the work easier because the easier you can make the work, the more sustainable it's going to be. And the, that's a way that you can ensure that this becomes a critical part of your, your community forever. And that's really the last part. Commit to the long term. 
if we believe that stories can change the world, we don't ever have a reason to stop telling them. It has to become a fabric of our communities. Storytelling used to be like the thing, or you think about oral history for tens of thousands of years, people only told stories and that's how we stayed connected to our history. And we knew who we were and we knew who the person sitting next to us at the bonfire was. We, we had this culture in this community of storytelling and then the internet happens and, and everybody just starts peppering us with, with just noise. It's time, I think, for our places to really get back to the humanity of our places. And the only way that we can do that is through human faces and through human stories. Uh, here's my contact information if you want, to, want that, if you want to ask me questions after. We got a little Q&A right now, which you can ask, but if we run out of time and you want to ask me later, do it. Interested in Storyville or whatever, you can shoot me an email, phil at storyvillesocial.com. There's my website. There's Instagram. Do it. Hi, Jeff. Whoa. Uh, a lot of minds melting out there in the in the Facebook world. Wow, man, that was incredible. I feel bad for all the other presenters because you kind of crushed it. <laughs> oh, don't say um, that. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's, you know, uh, no, absolutely fantastic. Really, really, really good stuff. Um, a lot of great feedback. couple questions that came up. Um, some cat named Joe Borgstrom asked... Ooh uh what about photography skills you know is that like you obviously bring some some decent photography skills to the table is that an absolute must is that something if you know okay it's not you can do all of this work with your phone and it doesn't even have to be a good phone it can be a crappy phone um you can do you can literally do all of this work you know besides like writing on a computer you can do all of this work with your phone um Again, like as long as, as your, your content is just a little bit better than the rest of the world's content, you're going to catch people's attention. So like a, a quick and easy way, like a tip, a photography tip, especially if you're using a phone, just find good lighting. Have them stand by a window, go outside, put them a lamp next to their face, whatever it takes. Good lighting is always number one. Snap a picture of their face and you've, you've done eight out of 10. If you're a great photographer or you wanna go down that rabbit hole, you definitely can, but it's not a prerequisite. Um, I'll, I'll give you an example. We published a story on a bakery uh, yesterday. I, I, only one of my pictures really turned out well, a portrait shot of him and his wife. I'm not proud of the picture. It's not a really great picture. They're dark, they're dim, they're too far away. Um, it just took off like rockets because it wasn't about the picture. It's about the story, right? And so uh, if you're writing a great story and you're telling great stories, uh, photography skills, not, not a requisite to making this work. Excellent. Excellent. Um, somebody asked, uh, what do you get for better engagement, a story or a video? A thousand percent a written story in a picture. Wow. Ten, 10 to one going into this work. And at the beginning of my city work, that's what I thought too, because Facebook said, Oh, video is the future video. Like everybody's on video. Uh, the average person watches a video on Facebook for less than three seconds. Like I, I'll show you every, every graph of every, every video ever, ever made on Facebook. And it goes like this open poof, down. Now that's not to say that video isn't, important because it is because it's the only medium that people can see faces and they can hear voices and they can really immerse themselves in that story and so that's why video is important but if you're looking at like just pure reach i just want to get this story in front of the most people possible it's always a written caption and always a picture why because it's easy to digest and i can do it while i'm at work a video takes me sitting down and playing it for three minutes when people are on Facebook, typically they're not ready for that level of investment, but mm. a little two paragraph story that I'm all about that I will read and that I will engage with. So 10 to one, as far as pure engagement goes, it's going to be a picture and a caption. Again, that's not to say video is important and we do a lot of video too, but that's like the post hole digger. That's to make the relationship deeper and more immersive for your super fans. But if you just want eyeballs, it's always a picture and Hell a yeah. caption. Good stuff. Good stuff. Excellent. Um, somebody asked, do you find that any certain qualities have led to your best leads? Uh, quality, what qualities as far as what? Like it's something that, that in particular, uh, that maybe you've found that's just 
in your absolute the stories that take off have you seen oh. anything that you keep seeing time and time again that maybe stands yes. out from the others it's it's always the the stories that are the most popular are the stories of somebody overcoming something uh-huh yeah, it's a little, little movie lesson there, I suppose. Yeah, it's, it's, it's always like if, if you can connect the story to something that's like a universal human experience, those are the best stories. So yes, you can go through and you can give a little history of the business. But if your interview doesn't go past that, if you don't go into like, why did you start this business? What's been the hardest thing you've experienced? What kind of tips would you give to an entrepreneur? If you don't get into that, the story is not really going to take off because I might not like Italian food, but I can identify with struggle or my dad had cancer too, or I lost my brother when I was young. And so immediately it connects it with people. It goes, it transcends Italian food and says, Hey, we're all humans telling stories and listening to each other's stories together. Excellent. Excellent. Um, just a couple more before we, we wrap up. Somebody had asked, um, can the story belong to more than one person, like like a department, a team? Can you do uh, a decent job of telling the story for, for multiple people? Yep. Yeah, you can absolutely do that. You can and you can structure that in a couple ways. So sometimes like if we do a business with a husband wife team, or multiple people in the business will do like a little quote from one person and then a little quote from another person. Or let's say that each one of them have a pretty substantial story that needs to be told, then it becomes a, a multiple post series. And that's how most of our stories end up. Um, they're, they're typically three to five posts long. So post one is uh, this person, post two could be that person, post three could be that person. Um, if you're doing like government work, and you want to feature like all of your city council members, uh, then every Monday becomes a new, like a different council member interview until you run out of council members. And so there's ways that you can structure that to definitely uh, tell more than one person's story at the same time. Excellent, excellent. Um, one more, um, let's see, what was this? We've got Oh, a couple more. All right. So Kevin um, Navalino says, how do you tell the story of a community that has such negative stereotypes? Uh, you tell them all the reasons, uh, all the positive things. Because the, the, the negative stereotype, that's a fixation. And it's like, it's a tunnel vision on only bad things. It's like when, when we're feeling depressed, depression acts like a feedback loop. I'm depressed and become more depressed and become more depressed. And when we talk about negative stereotypes in a community, it's the same thing. It's, well, this is an issue. And so now I, I become, I'm not able to transcend that issue because the roads are still bad. And therefore the entire city is bad because the road outside my house is still bad. And so, so one, encourage the city to confront those like if there's reasons why there's negative stereotypes for instance like if your every city or every road in your city is like navigating landmines you're going to need to fix that no amount of storytelling is going to be able to patch those holes you just you're not going to be able to tell a story a great story about how you've got great roads when you don't have great roads but generally speaking you can increase the, the general perception or stereotype of your community by simply amplifying the best your community has to offer. And that's really the power of these stories because they're all true. They're from their own words. Those people have done those things. They've experienced those things and they're still killing it. They're still doing great things. And so it acts as this inspiration cycle, this positive feedback loop, because every morning I pull up the Facebook page and I see another member of my community who cares, who loves, who's investing, who's engaging, who's taking concrete actions to transform our community to make it better for me, even though I hate this place. And so if just a relentless commitment to amplifying the best the community nice. has to offer. One last one, you gotta uh, make this one quick and then I'm, okay. I gotta hand it over, but um, this was asked twice. Uh, do you start with an objective for the story or a standard set of questions when interviewing your subject? Uh, no, uh, and nine times out of 10, I, I go in almost completely blind um, apart from just like a quick look at who, who the business is because I I'm a firm believer in, the magic of spontaneous conversation. Um, I do do have kind of a leaning towards questions because remember we want to make sure that they're universally human and they're appealing. So I kind of have uh, questions that I want to ask or that I want to them to answer. But if I come if I come to the interview too preoccupied with those questions, now I'm not a listener. 
And now my interview is super lame because I'm, too, I'm like asking questions off my top 10 list as opposed to having a, a real human conversation with people. So have them in, your, in the back of the brain, but be ready to kind of abort and just listen to somebody's amazing story. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. All right, everybody. Uh, thank you, Phil. That was incredible. Uh, awesome session. A uh, ton of great information. Everybody check out Phil's stuff on Storyville Social. Uh, follow his work and uh, he is available to come to your community and fix everything. Uh, Phil, fantastic. Stick around. Uh, please, please, please. We've got a fantastic session coming up in just about 30 seconds from vacant to vi vibrant. And we've got oh, Travis man. Alden, Director of Business Development of The Right Place. This is so good. Uh, yeah. And Sarah Herberger, Theater Manager of the Historic Vogue Theater of Manistee. The story of Vogue's theater's transformation from abandoned building to historic downtown movie house uh, as soon as this video wraps up that one will start so again phil thanks thanks everybody for being here and stick around thank you everybody